Well, last week, I so enjoyed hearing God's word from my brother and friend in the Lord, Ron Merrill. Ron's with us again this week. Next week, I'll pick up on this series. So I'm excited to get to teach from Mark chapter one about following Jesus. But I know God's got a word for you today from Ron Merrill. So will you put your hands together again and give Ron a big connection point welcome. <laughs> All right, you only have to put up with me for one more time here, and then you get your pastor back. So that'll be a good thing. You guys, I stayed here uh, all week in the state of Indiana. And so as this Arizonan, if, if you didn't get a chance to connect last weekend, uh, I was here with you last weekend, and um, I, I had some uh, blood temperature uh, that was within human limits last week. Well, now after spending a week in the state, it's completely gone. And, uh, and yet, I have learned two things about Indiana in uh, spending a week here. First, no lie, um, you are the nicest people I have ever been around in my entire life. I, everywhere I go. Yeah, it's worth applauding because I, I went through um, drive-throughs at Starbucks or a fast food drive-thru or uh, in a Target or whatever, and because there's a Target out in this like frozen tundra area like 20 minutes from here, and um, I, I went in there and everybody, it was just like getting hugged with words and kindness everywhere I went. You should be proud of the type of people you are. It was, it was genuinely heartwarming, even though the weather is bone chilling. So you're very, very nice people. That's the first thing that I learned. The second thing that I learned is um, you have cemeteries right off the main road every three blocks in the entire state. <laughs> what, what is with that? It's like you're saying, you know, we're really nice but we also want to remind you, you could die at any minute. That's basically it. I actually think it was probably just because it's so cold. Most people can only make it three blocks before you just go, I'm done. Go on without me. I'm just going to lay down right here. And then they bury you right there. And so I think that's really what's going on. But it's, it's, it's such a, a rough season we're in right now. That we're coming around a year of challenges and difficulties. Uh, you, you could probably even go back further than a year and cite things maybe in your own journey, your own life, your own story, things that maybe have been going on in the community, things been going on around the state or around the nation and surely around the world. These are rough times, challenging times. And what I know and sense more than anything, maybe now more than ever, is that we need a group of people who are looking to Jesus. We need followers of Jesus who are helpers and who are healers. We need helpers and healers maybe now more than ever, and this is what I want to have a conversation about tonight from the scriptures. We're spending a handful of weeks talking about what it really means to be followers of Jesus. When Jesus looked to the first followers of his and said, follow me, 
What did he really mean? What is all about the following of Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, being a Christian? What, what does that mean? What does that look like? And we're gonna spend a little bit of time in Mark chapter one tonight again because Mark, again, starts his account of the person and the work, the earthly ministry of Jesus with some amazing reminders right out of the gates in Mark chapter one about who Jesus is and huge reminders of what it actually means for us to follow him. And this is key that ultimately for us to follow Jesus isn't just about uh, head knowledge. And it's not just about what he's done in our hearts. Although those two aspects are key in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We can know an awful lot about who Jesus is. And we can come to understand that he has done a tremendous work on our hearts and desires to continue to work on our hearts. But at some point, the person and the work of Jesus, at some point, the following of Jesus works its way from here to here and to here, to our hands. And really, this can become another bit of a diagnostic, another tool for us just to begin to have a, 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 a season of processing Am I really following Jesus the way that he would want me to follow him? And again, this isn't rocket science, but if you begin to look around and you go, you know what? By the grace of God, to the best of my ability, when I have opportunity, I really am trying to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. When I've got opportunity to the best of my ability by his grace, I really am trying to help other people around me. I'm really trying to, to heal other people emotionally or spiritually in some regard as I have ability. I'm trying to be a tangible touch, a tangible word, some tangible evidence that Jesus is near. God wants to work through us that way. And maybe you just begin to pray, okay, Lord, you know, I've been following you for a long time, but, but Lord, I, I know that, that uh, I've been more on the intake than the giving out. I've been quick to receive what you have for me, but I don't know if I've been quick really to give away what you have given to me. And yet to be a follower of Jesus is to help and heal other people. You know what I'm so thankful for is that when um, I really came to know Jesus, I was 15 years old. That's when Jesus rescued me. And in part, he used tremendously a, a man named Eddie Passmore. Eddie was my youth pastor. This is Eddie. And he is the sweetest most Christ-like human being that's had the richest, deepest effect on my life outside of someone in my own family. And I'm looking at him now, and it's, you know how sometimes they say when you get a dog and eventually you start to look like your dog? Well, maybe I start to look like my youth pastor the more that I age. That would be just fine with me. Because inside and out, this, this is a man who uh, just, he wears his heart on his sleeve, 
And he was so affected by Jesus that it couldn't help but come out of him. And I, I heard the gospel through Eddie, but then I also experienced the gospel. I experienced the tangible taste of what Jesus is really like through my relationship with Eddie when I was 15. And Jesus stepped in and Jesus rescued me. And I turned my back on my sin and I turned to face Jesus. And that was amazing. But here, here's the better part of the equation with regard to Eddie. I get rescued by Jesus at about 15 years old. And then Eddie said, before I turn 16, Eddie said, now I need you to start teaching junior high Sunday school. Whoa. You have not lived until you have taught junior high Sunday school. Because junior hires are, are, are really kind of a creature more than like a, a human being quite yet. They're my favorite creatures. I love them dearly, but I was concerned. I said, Eddie, I don't know anything. I, I'm, I'm just barely a follower of Jesus. I'm barely a Christian. I, I don't know much about the Bible yet. You were just talking about Abraham just a couple of weeks ago, and I thought you were talking about Lincoln. I don't know anything to teach these junior hires. He said, that's okay. He said, we will meet on, on Wednesdays, and we'll plan your lesson together. We'll study God's word together, and then you'll present that on Sunday. I said, oh, okay. See, Eddie wasn't gonna leave any lag between Jesus rescuing me and then now Jesus wants to work through me. There doesn't need to be this tremendous lag. Now he threw me into the deep end of the pool. Uh, on the very first day that I taught Sunday school, the junior hire set off the fire extinguisher in the classroom. And, and the, the smoke comes billowing out, and it was not the Holy Spirit. And I just thought, oh my goodness, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do this. I said, Eddie, they had questions, and I didn't know the answer. He said, that's okay. He said, when you're in those situations, if you say, I don't know, but I'll go find out and I'll tell you next week, that's always a really good answer. And that be, can be the case for you in your own walk, in your own journey, whether it's in your own family, whether it's with some neighbors, whether you get thrown in to lead in a small group or teaching a, a class for some of the teens or kids around here, there's a learning stage, yeah, and you may not have all the answers, but that doesn't mean you have to wait until you're an expert for God to use you. And you see that right at the beginning in Mark chapter one. If you, if you look there again, we were there last week and Jesus has begun to gather his earliest followers, his earliest disciples. And if you remember last week, he, he's giving his disciples quite the gift that we get a glimpse of in Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one is basically a day in the life of Jesus. How many of you would love to have spent just one day following Jesus around? Seeing how he interacted, hearing him teach firsthand, watching some of the miracles that he performed. I think it would have been a pretty special experience. 
And rather than him enroll them in some class, Jesus looks at his first disciples and says, come on, follow me, and you're just gonna kinda hang out. You're gonna go where I go, and then you're gonna eventually do a whole lot of the stuff that I've been doing around you. And it's a very similar sort of invitation that he's offered to us today. But you remember last week, Jesus goes into a synagogue to teach, and then there's an interruption. If you remember from last week, there's an interruption in the middle of his teaching. If you weren't here, that's okay. Right in the middle of his teaching, his disciples are there with, with him watching it, and then there's an interruption in the middle of the teaching. Mark chapter one, verse 23 and 24. It says, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit, that's quite the interruption, cried out, Verse 24, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so his followers are getting a crash course right off the bat in the way of their master. But I gotta imagine that his disciples were pretty astounded that even an evil spirit knew about their master. That had to be something as they were watching, as they just were hanging out and experiencing this, they had to go, wow, I think there's more to Jesus than even we're aware of at this moment in time. This set of verses reminds me of something that James says later in the scriptures. In James chapter two, verses 18 and 19, uh, James says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. He's been having this conversation about our faith and that we are not saved, we're not rescued because we're good or because we do good things, but rather our good deeds, our actions, our evidence that we are saved. It's an overflow that God has connected some dots here. He's changed us internally. It is going to show up externally. And he's been having that conversation. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. Then an interesting verse next, 19. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Which again, if we were just touching on it briefly last week, it's that reminder that just having an intellectual understanding of who God is, or even a belief that he exists, I'd put it this way, is not the same as following or trusting Jesus. And this is big in our culture today, I don't know that it's as big as it was in the last 50 or 100 years, but cultural Christianity has been a thing. If you poll people or you ask people, do you believe that there's a God, they'll say yes. You ask people if they're a Christian, many people will say yes. But then when you ask them deeper questions, if you were to ask them even, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you following him? Do you trust him in every area of your life? Is there evidence in your life 
by the way that you treat people and interact with people and talk to people that Jesus is at the core of who you are. Well, then that starts to change maybe the answer for some people. It's because just acknowledging that he exists or that he's God, I mean, even demons do that. So what's the difference between me and a demon? It's quite frankly, it's that I obey Jesus. My faith and trust is completely in the person and the work of Jesus. I have bowed the knee of my heart to Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I'm taking my cues from him. And when I follow him, I'm trying by his grace and by the help of his spirit at work within me, I am trying wholeheartedly to follow him, trust him in every area of my life one day at a time, as Pastor John said a couple of weeks ago. There's a godly lifestyle that should be evident in followers of Jesus. And I'd venture to say that there's so much that God does through our, our, our service, that the moment that we, we take a step of faith and put our faith into practice, it opens up whole new rooms in our heart for him to work that he just isn't able to in the same way that when I'm just sitting and listening or sitting and studying. But to follow Jesus is really to be about the investing in and caring for and helping and healing the people uh, that are, are around us. Um, if you continue to read just right after, Jesus leaves the synagogue and then heads back to uh, a home with a couple of his disciples, and look at verse 29. It says, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon, which is Peter, and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered. Hello? It sound like a fun evening? The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Now, what is tremendous to me about this is so clear. Mark is building a case. In fact, the entire first half of the Gospel of Mark, Mark is making a case that Jesus is the sovereign son of Almighty God. That he isn't just some guy, he's not just a good teacher, but that Jesus is very nature God in the flesh. And the first half of the book of Mark that's the case he's making over and over again. Jesus is God. The second half of the Gospel of Mark transitions to a focal point on Jesus being the suffering servant who's come to lay down his life for the people he loves. And so right here, we're, we're reminded once again from this account as Jesus heads back with the disciples to Peter's mother-in-law's house and they go in, and she's got a fever, and then there's a knock on the door, and here comes the crowd. 
we're reminded that Jesus has that sovereign power over creation and sickness and disease. We're reminded that he is our ultimate healer. And maybe just for a moment you'd pause and just remember that. For those of you who already have a relationship with Jesus, you know he's deeply concerned about helping and healing you in all regards. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, please hear me loud and hear, clear God's word loud and clear that the heart of Jesus is very, very strong to bring healing to you. But the other part of this that just I think is really key for us to not miss in this account right here, do you catch that the followers of Jesus were with him? That Jesus was with them in their homes. I love that. I love that this is true right here. The heart of Jesus is being with him daily in all areas of your life. Jesus wants to be with you and you with him wherever you go. Whatever time of day, whether you're alone or you're surrounded by people, whether you're at work or you're with your buddies or you're on your free time, whether it's a good day, it's a bad day, the Lord wants to be with you. And maybe just to reemphasize that, Jesus wants to be with you. He has a desire to spend time with you. For me, that's such a humbling sort of thing. How in the world could the God of the universe, the sovereign son of God, have any desire to spend time with me? There's days where I don't even want to spend time with me. But God, he loves me that much to pursue me. He loves me that much to want to spend time with me and to try to get my attention and to be on my radar. That was one of the things I experienced first and foremost through my youth pastor, Eddie. You know, some of the most profound, powerful things that Eddie did in my journey throughout high school, it wasn't necessarily a sermon he preached or a program that he ran or some special event. You know, some of my favorite memories with Eddie, some of the most impactful, were like a Saturday where he'd call me up and he'd say, Ron, I've got a whole bunch of errands to run today. Would you wanna just ride along with me? Let's talk and hang out while I run some errands. And just the fact that he wanted to spend time with me, someone that I wasn't blood relative to, that translated so easily then for me to understand, wait a minute, you would wanna spend time with me? That's powerful. And the more that we spent time together, the more that I enjoyed that, the more that I grew, the more that I learned. It's kind of like this. If you were driving down the road and, and, and you saw Jesus hitchhiking and you drove right by, whoa, that was Jesus back there. Did you see that? He was hitchhiking. That's funny. And you kept driving. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Uh, is he in charge of your life? Well, well probably not. 
If you're driving on the road and you saw Jesus hitchhiking, and you're like, oh my goodness, that's Jesus, and you, you pull over real quick, and you, you get out of the car, and you go, wow, Jesus, what are you doing here? I mean, this is fascinating to see you here on the side of the road. Um, and you pop the trunk on your car. And you say, hey, Jesus, you want a ride? Let's just get in the trunk. Yeah, I know there's some junk there in the spare tire, but you cram Jesus in the trunk of the car of your life. You slam the lid shut, and then you drive off. Whoa, this is pretty cool. I got Jesus in the trunk. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Is he really in charge? Is that really what he had in mind? Well, probably not. If you're driving down the road, you saw Jesus hitchhiking, and you, you pull over, and you, you, you go, oh, Jesus, get in the car. Just sit in the back seat, though, Jesus. It's comfy back there, and, and, and you can kind of listen to my music, and at least you're going the same direction that I'm going, Jesus, right? That's pretty cool. Just don't talk too much from the back seat, just because I don't like a backseat driver, okay? Here, Jesus, let's go. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Probably not. You're driving on the road, you saw Jesus hitchhike, and you pull over, and you let him ride shotgun. Jesus doesn't want to ride shotgun in my life. He wants my life to be swallowed up in his life. And so really, not until I'm driving on the road and I say, Jesus, hitchhiking, and I pull over the car, I get out of the driver's seat, I pull the keys from the ignition, I walk over and I hand the keys to Jesus and I say, Jesus, you drive, you sit in the driver's seat, I'll ride shotgun. You take me where you wanna go. And I'll just sit over here in shotgun and let you drive. That's really what Jesus wants when it comes to following him. He doesn't want to follow me. He wants to sit in the driver's seat. And in that sort of scenario, that is a beautiful relationship where he's driving me and I'm sitting right next to him. When you're that close with him, If that's the arrangement, Jesus, where are you driving me today? Jesus, why did you take a turn back there? Jesus, why are we stopping now? There's all this dialogue that can take place when we're with him, and and he loves that sort of relationship. Because this is true, next. The more you're with him, the more you'll start to act like him. Again, not rocket science, but this is the beauty of it. And I think this is what he had in mind for his disciples. And over the course of about three years, he's gonna spend a significant amount of time with his disciples and he's just gonna invest and they're gonna be able to watch and listen and learn and question. They're gonna get to practice some things. They're gonna get to fail and see how their master responds even in their moments of regret and failure. If you're like me, you've had more moments of regret and failure than maybe you'd like to admit. When Jesus rescued me, that was the moment where Jesus sat in the driver's seat of my life and I said, yes, you need to drive. But can I tell you that the temptation is there even today? 
every single morning I wake up, the temptation is still there for me to wake up and get in the driver's seat and shove Jesus to the passenger seat or the trunk. And I've learned that when that's the way I'm operating, when I'm not with him in that regard, in that intimate relationship, I'm not listening as well. I'm not tuned in as well. My heart isn't insensitive to the things that he would want my heart to be sensitive to. And then I start to wonder, gosh, I'm not really acting like Jesus, I'm not thinking like Jesus, I'm not talking like Jesus, it's probably because I haven't really been spending any time with my Savior. I'm back driving again. So they've had a full day in the life of Jesus. They've had a full day with their master. And as they've had this full day, I mean, picture it. He's taught all day in the synagogue with authority. He's cast out a demon mid-sermon. He gets back home. And if after a full day full of teaching to get back home, I would just want to kick my feet up and relax. I don't want to go to bed early. And yet, Jesus goes home, and there's a family member who has a fever, and, oh, okay, no, I'd be happy to. And he gets up. He, he could have just thought the thought, or he could have, uh, you know, shot some magic uh, uh, juice out of his fingers or whatever. He's Jesus. He could do whatever he wanted to heal Peter's mother-in-law of the fever. But he got up, and he went to her. We could spend weeks just talking about the implications of that. He heals her, and then what does she do? She begins to serve. <laughs> we could talk for weeks about that. Then he sits back in the recliner, and now he's going, okay, wow, that was a long day. I got the teaching all day. I cast out that demon. Remember that in the middle of the sermon? And then got home. Pete's mother-in-law is sick. We healed her. And then... Hey, Pete, could you get the door? I think somebody's knocking on the door. I'm a little tired right now. One of the guys goes and answers the door. Jesus says, who is it? And then his disciples go, um, I think it's everybody. Everybody that's demon-possessed and sick is outside right now looking for you. And I love that Jesus gets up and well into the night he does what he does. He heals people. Now, he had the ability to heal them physically. And in a way that you and I can't, he had a way, a way to heal them spiritually. He can use us to that end, but make no bones about it. Jesus is the real savior. He's the real helper. He's the real healer. Now, he desires desperately to use me and you to be a tangible touch of what he's like, to help get people from where they are to Jesus. He can use you to that end. I think that's what's so key, just by way of reminder, is this, that helping and healing others should be hallmarks of Jesus' followers just like they're the hallmarks of Jesus' ministry himself. 
How many people are you intentional about helping? How many people are you intentional about healing? And whatever opportunities or means that you might have the ability to. Sometimes it's just the right word at the right time. Sometimes it's just that one person. Maybe it's just one person that God's positioned you around and he's saying, hey, I've put you in this person's life to be a tangible touch of what Jesus is like. That's what followers of Jesus do. That's a part of how he's growing his kingdom. That's a part of how he's bringing heaven to earth. It's through his followers who are walking with him, taking their cues from him. When I was in junior high, there were two boys in the junior high lunchroom that I remember vividly. And these two boys were complete outsiders. They didn't look right, they didn't dress right, they didn't act right. They didn't fit in by the uh, popular cultural standards of the day. And so those two sat all alone in the junior high lunchroom every single day. I had a couple buddies that were in a friendship group and uh, they, they had an understanding of Jesus that I really didn't. And they knew, even in junior high, they knew that Jesus loved those two even though the entire school didn't love those two. In fact, Jesus loved them just as much as he loved the popular ones. Jesus loved them all. And these two started to talk about, hey, we should really go sit with those two. We should go make friends with those two. And I remember it just enough that it got a little bit of traction amongst a group of friends. And those friends started to say, no way. You don't go sit with those people. The minute that you go sit with those people, then you're gonna get lumped in with those people. If you're popular now, you won't be in a couple of weeks or a couple of months if you sit with those two outsiders. And Praise God, these couple buddies got up and they actually went over. And they began to sit with these two outcasts. Now over the next couple of months, every single day, they sat with those two. Every single lunch period, they sat with them and got to know them and listened to them and actually discovered that they had an awful lot in common. They befriended them. Super long story short, it had been just a few months of that sort of friendship going on. And the popular ones that had gone over to join the outcast ones uh, were now being made fun of along with the two outcasts. But it all changed one day when one of the outcasts walked up to one of the popular kids that had been sitting with them for months and handed them a letter and walked away. The popular kid that had been sitting with the unpopular kid opened up this letter and read, you have no clue what sort of impact you had on my life. You see, a couple of months ago, I was done. I had no desire to even be alive anymore. See, I didn't believe that there was a God, but a couple of months ago, I prayed for the very first time 
God, if you're real, if you exist, then please just send me a friend. And I'm not kidding you guys. The letter said, that was the same day that you and your buddies showed up at our table. And not only did it change his literal life, but over the months that would follow, before I really had an understanding of who Jesus was and how he operated, I remember what God was doing through two junior high boys that came alongside a couple of other junior high boys and were just offering themselves in friendship just to be a help and a bit of healing relationally and emotionally and spiritually even to a couple people that needed it. That's how the gospel works. That's how Jesus works. That's how he desires all of us to operate. When we've got a radar for people the way that Jesus does, if Jesus is a helper and a healer, then in our own way, in our own fashion, followers of Jesus will do likewise. In the name of an almighty God, if you're a follower of his, do it. And so gracious heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love that you have poured out for us. We thank you that when we needed help and we, we needed healing of all sorts, you sent your son Jesus for us. And he laid out the model, he laid out the example that we would just follow in his steps. Father, we thank you that there are times where we can grow in our knowledge and understanding of who you are. We thank you for the times where we feel you close and sense you and we know what you're doing in our hearts and our souls. But we ask, Father, that you would help us take steps of faith in obedience, faith in action. That you'd be able to look at our lives as followers of yours, disciples of yours, and there would be outward evidence that you have done something in our hearts and our souls. Give us a sensitivity for people that are hurting or lost or broken or just in need of a friend. People that need to see you, Christian brothers and sisters that need the encouragement, help us come alongside them. And for people that don't know you, a watching world, Father, give us the spark Give us the courage, give us the boldness, give us the sensitivity to know who and when and where to help and heal as we have opportunity. We'll give you all the praise and the glory for what you do. We thank you for those that are a part of this church body that are doing that already and doing that so well. Pray that you'd bless them and comfort them extra today. We lift our voices to you now with everything that we've got to worship you. In Jesus' name.